This is Bassam Tarazi. Welcome to Headspring, a podcast that celebrates modern business leaders who overcome uncertainty and setbacks to embark on a journey of digital innovation. Today, we are speaking with Sean Lewengraff. Sean is the CEO of Energy Solar, an Idaho-based renewable energy startup that designs and manufactures the world's most portable energy storage solutions. Their mission is to provide the world with affordable solar power. Sean's entrepreneurial life started on the banks of the Mekong River as a refugee from Laos. His career has taken him all over the globe, building his own ventures and working for some of the biggest brands in the world. In this conversation, Sean gets into what he learned starting a company in China, the best way to get technical insight when you're just the business mind, and how he balances the demands of life and work. Enjoy. Well, hello, Sean. Nice to have you here uh, with us at Headspring. And I just want to hop right in. Sean, you were born in Laos, but you had to flee at an extremely young age and became a refugee in Thailand before eventually coming to the States. Is that about the experience in a sentence? Yes, that 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 has been a uh, truly impactful kind of experience in my life, and it's kind of uh, uh, driven me in a lot of things to do. But you're absolutely correct. Yeah, so I am a refugee from Laos. My family and I um, similar. It's it's you know how I understand it, it is it actually dawned on me when I was watching the Sound of Music, um, and the and their their quote unquote escape. Um, was very uh, a similar situation where it wasn't planned. You didn't pack your luggages. You didn't. You didn't. You know, call a moving truck and and do these. We 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 were pretending to go and visit uh, relatives. Or my mom had called in sick for work and said that she was taking her niece to go see a doctor. Wow. And we told uh, you know other people were going to go see relatives outside of town. And once we got out of the, out of the city boundary. We took a right turn and went and rendezvoused with a uh, someone who smuggled us across the Mekong River uh, to on the on the Thailand border. And and once we set foot on the the, the Thailand side, uh, we were officially refugees. Wow! As I as I look and process your story again from the banks of the Mekong in Thailand all the way to America eventually. And your CV, you've worked for various startups. You've worked for Apple and HP and PeopleSoft and Oracle, just to name a few. You've worked in Asia, in the States. And I wonder, how did your experience as a refugee, and again, not that you were processing it consciously, but how do you think that might have shaped you as a businessman You know, and maybe what you looked for in life? Do you think there's any, any connecting thread there? I, I think it, there is definitely a connection being being a refugee and coming to a new land with literally nothing except for what we had in our in our hands um, really taught me or gave me a deep impression of, of just to value what I have and to work hard for just to build a you know kind of a life for myself and and really what drives me is is my the next generation I have three boys and I want to to give them the best and obviously my family and extended family want to give them the best and so that really drives me hmm. uh, because we started from nothing right there is no <laughs> there's no grandparents or great grandparents that you know have kind of helped us and so forth so we wanted to really build something from from zero uh, one other thing that actually is interesting is my dad 
uh, my father uh, growing up, he, he actually had many opportunities to, to go abroad. Uh, he studied in Europe. Uh, he's in many parts of, uh, of Asia, Southeast Asia. And uh, it's interesting. And, and when he tells me these stories, it kind of inspires me. And so I think the, 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 um, the fear or the hesitation of moving outside your known world uh, that that fear was was kind of dispelled just listening to my dad mm. uh, and knowing that hey it, it's easy to go outside the borders and and do things and go to other countries and other regions and to to learn and experience i think that also helped me to kind of just be more open minded and and seek greater opportunities uh yeah that yeah. that that's a uh... Rings true in in my mind as well. Just that uh, willingness to be vulnerable uh, and what what can happen when one does that. Um, as a leader, and you've been a leader in many different roles in many different industries. When it comes to a problem to solve, you're obviously a natural problem solver. I take it. Do you look at them technically or conceptually? And I, I ask this because I know a lot of our listeners here. Some of them are business owners and some of them are more tech savvy and some of them have no idea about tech whatsoever. So curious in your life and your experiences, how do you approach those business problems when kind of tech is involved? Yeah, I think that's a great question. That's actually a really great question. It's It actually, it, it allows me to kind of share one of my um, kind of, um, kind of uh, hypothesis or one of my kind of principles is that everything in life, everything in business, it boils down to common sense, you know, common sense or just, just experiences you've had in life. So when, when tackling uh, really complex problems, uh, especially technical problems, it's just like tackling any other big problem that you have in your life. You, you analyze it, you understand what it is, you break it down and you think outside the box and you take it one piece at a time and you can always solve a problem, you know, um, I, I, yeah, love, so. I love the statement. The problem isn't you. The problem is the problem. I'm an engineer <laughs> as well, you know, and it was always let's identify the variables. Let's not get too emotional. Let what is the problem? Um, yeah. 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 And, and the other piece is, you know, I'm not technical. My my uh, my background is business. I'm a business guy. My 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 undergrad was in international finance and, you know, I got an MBA um, and you know, software and, and, uh, engineering and, you know, power, that's not, that's not, you know, that's not what I studied, but, but, uh, you know, I know what, I know what power does. I know what, what kind of, uh, systems, uh, kind of, uh, enables, uh, people and organizations and, and communities to do. And that's, that's kind of what you, you actually think about is what problem am I trying to solve? And, um, yeah, it, there's always a, a way to solve the problem. So don't let, you know, problems kind of scare you or paralyze you. It's just, there's always a way to overcome it. You just have to think about it or consult people who know better or have had the experience and they'll give you perspectives that will allow you to, and help you to solve the problem. And I think you have a, uh, I don't want to say a, a seminal moment, but you worked in China on a, on a BlackBerry translation app. Uh, it was called China Helpline. And that's where I think you... Uh, that I had learned, you said, look, I learned a lot about, as your statement, I'm a business guy, not a software guy. Was there a story about working on that app where that you had a grand takeaway to that 
notion again i know you 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 leaned on that but was there was there something you learned maybe even the hard way out there working on that app where you realized man i am i'm the business guy not the tech guy <laughs> yeah so um i think there's there's probably three key takeaways from from that experience the first one is a part of actually solving a problem or part of part of actually this the startup is actually showing up or or you know being there you know i i um was foolish enough or crazy enough to to basically quit my job and move out to uh, to to Shanghai to basically uh, launch and 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 deploy you know a beta version of the software. But just going out there and being out there just created opportunities that I never would have had if I just you know conceptually stayed in 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 Silicon Valley and and tried to do things remotely. So that's one is is showing up is half of the half of the solution. Two is um, you can't scale people. It's really hard to scale people. I mean, one of the things that I just learned and amazed from uh, from Google and you know, friends who work at Google and so forth, and they tell me like, yeah, when we when you want to go from like a million a million queries to 10 million queries, you just basically add more servers and you can scale up to that level. But with a call center-based or a human-based uh, solution, it's linear. It's not mm-hmm. logarithmic, right? You, mm-hmm. If you want to go from, you know, to help, you know, from 100 to 1,000 uh, customers, you have to increase your call center a lot, uh, but, you know, and train more people and hire more people. And so we, you know, we, uh, we actually had translators from, you know, Chinese to English and also Chinese to German. Um, and it was, yeah, that was really hard finding really great translators, great interpreters that, that, you know, would, uh, you know, would work for us. So those, th- that's two. And then the last uh, lesson that I learned from that experience is having a technical co-founder or having a technical uh, partner is critical. Um, as a business guy, you know, uh, yeah, I, I kind of try to figure it out as much as I can on my own. And if, if you have a technical co-founder that, that really is passionate about the problem and wants to solve it, they'll solve it, right? They really understand the problem. But yeah, you can you can find the right partners that can help you partner with you to do that. Um, it's it's it, it can happen, but uh, yeah, that, that's one of the things. Like you need to find a truly good partner to help you uh, on the technical side if you're if you're a business guy. But it is solvable. Right. And, and leaning into that last one, into number three, what are the tenets? What are the pillars? What are the values you look for in, in a partner? Because I'm guessing, like you said, if you don't have that, uh, that technical co-founder, there's going to need to be a lot of trust building, um, you know, as you're building this thing. So j- just curious in your, in your path and in, in your past, as you have had those relationships with those outside firms, what, what are some of the things that stand out of ones that have worked really well? Surrounding yourself and being in that environment is super helpful because one, you start understanding, you know, some of the challenges that that you know engineers or uh, you know looking from the, the technical side to the business side. It's 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 actually equally frustrating from a technical uh, founder trying to find a business co-founder, right? Right. right. <laughs> um, but when you find each other, it's just magic, right? That's right. Um, I, I just just a story about that. I uh, in the early days of of the um, the China Helpline, I actually went uh, and uh, attended like uh, uh, 
uh, I think they call meetups now or just conferences and stuff like that, you know, to find Java developers. And I went to a, a, an event at uh, that uh, um, Sun Microsystems had out there. And I met someone who actually came from China and he was out here for uh, out to, in the Bay Area for a, a conference. And he was speaking on a panel uh, and he talked about just some of the challenges of Java development, especially in China and so forth. And I made it a, uh, a you know, I, I, I forced myself to go and reach out to him and, and speak with him. And he ended up actually, you know, uh, helping us out there in China. And so that's just one example of just, you know, showing up is half of the solution, right? right. Just being there. Right. And because you make your own luck, right? You make your own opportunities. Um, yeah. And really, it's 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 a really a, a marriage uh, um, metaphor. Just being around them, being around the, just people that, who, who you would potentially work with and just getting a feel for them. Getting a feel for who they are, their their background, their their personality, what their passions are, yeah, it's just like dating and 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 marriage. You just find someone that that you know has similar passions that uh, wants to pursue the same goals, and that's that's you know that's uh, that's definitely will help the 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 opportunity and and give you a better chance of being successful. You know, if if you get intimidated by software or by technology. There are partners out there that that have proven themselves uh, that they they know how to to really kind of tackle the problem right. Um, and I think once you find those partners, again, it, it takes effort to find those right partners. But once you do, once you do, they'll be able to help you, and they'll be able to to help you navigate through that. And then again, try to find those that that that, that partner that could actually you can convince to join you. You know, that has the same passions, the same desires as you. They'll want to join you because when you find those equally passionate people, they'll naturally want to join you. Uh, I, I want to turn quickly to Energy. You know, I look at your current position as CEO of Energy Solar. The interesting thing for all you entrepreneurs out there is that you're—I don't want to say a rare CEO, but you're maybe in the minority CEOs and an entrepreneur who didn't actually pick energy, right? They initially picked you. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so when I first got accepted to university, I actually uh, got a, a, a grant to go study at San Francisco, San Francisco State University. And I was declared an electrical engineer major. Uh, and then I actually had the opportunity to, to actually take a two-year pause and volunteer uh, as as a missionary, uh, doing things like teaching English and mm. helping migrants in Australia, I was exposed to so many different people and so many different uh, kind of uh, backgrounds and and professions and 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 experiences that it changed it changed my world and and that actually changed um, you know changed my perspective uh, in my career and so forth and so I um I had gotten my MBA and uh, and you know when the opportunity came presented presented itself like hey we're looking for uh kind of the the, the very high level requirements or, or criteria that they were looking for was you know someone who who has silicon valley ties uh someone who also has ties to to china and manufacturing and, and also someone who has ties to utah uh which is where we were we were going to move the headquarters of the company that's what that was kind of like the high level uh kind of profile of the ceo and i I checked all those boxes and I don't know how many, 
how many people ha- can fit that box. But uh, I was quite fortunate. And when I when I saw that opportunity, uh, I saw the mission of the company and the opportunity to bring power to the to the world, especially those in in developing countries and those who are struggling. I just saw an opportunity to give back and to make a difference. And I, that's really what what uh, attracted me was just the mission of the company. And uh, that's, yeah, that's so I, I actually didn't found, I was not the founder of the company. I was employee number three. And, uh, you know, I joined a team of other two people that were equally passionate about the mission of the company. And, and that's what, that's what uh, got me out of Silicon Valley out to Utah and Idaho. And sticking on the kind of software angle, I know in, in the early days, you were in a position that you needed to provide a proof of concept kind of to get to your next step with energy and, and, and where you needed to go. And software was, again, the hurdle at that point. I'm just, just curious, what was the problem you were trying to solve in that moment? Yeah. Um, the solution that, that, we, that we came up with uh, in, in, the, in the kind of the style of startups is we call lean startup or uh, agile uh, we, you want to build a, a MVP, minimum viable product. And we actually did build a m- minimum viable product in uh, the solution that we did. And the first product that we released uh, was called the Kodiak, the Kodiak Solar Generator. And that was literally a dumb box, no software inside. <laughs> it was just systems integration. It had an inverter inside. It had lithium ion batteries inside. It had a charge controller, a, a battery management system, all, all the things that would make it work. And we sold a lot of that, but that was a dumb box. There was no, there was no software inside. There was no embedded software in that hardware. And the vision of the company was to build a smart solution where you can plug and play. You know, you can plug it in, and it just works. Uh, and it's also intelligent enough that you can communicate with it. You know, over the internet or over Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, and you can remotely monitor and manage it. And uh, and then also you can plug multiple systems together and they would be able to pool and share power uh, and and build that network or that grid uh, one system at a time organically. And that was the vision of our technology. And that's always been the vision of the technology that that's really kind of drove us to to um, to kind of seek this solution. And and again, we did not have the embedded software uh uh, skill set within the company at the time, and we had to uh, kind of help our investors and partners and potential customers see the vision. And fortunately, we were able to to, to find uh, um, a partner. And actually, uh, one of the one of the founders of IQ Lab, he and I were actually at a startup together um, in 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 a previous life. And you know, I um, I had worked with him and got to know him and really respected him. And that. Fortunately, that's that was the relationship that that triggered it, and I reached out to him, and we worked. He was able to build uh, a proof of concept for us that allowed us to really show uh, potential customers, potential investors, potential partners what the vision was. And it wasn't a fully functional thing, but it it helped people to understand and see the capability, and that really got us very far, and that got us funding for the next round and, and, um, you know, definitely was the foundation for the, the, the investment round after that. How long is that engagement when you, is that months long? Is it a year? I'm, I'm curious, like how, how quick does that happen? At least for, for that example. Yeah, I think it took about, I think four to six months to do that. 
Um, and it was actually pretty quick. You know, they, we, you, you, you know, when, when you have good requirements or good, a good vision of what you want to do, um, we actually spent, uh, 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 we invested some good time in the beginning to make sure we talk through, um, and actually that's one of the things that I really liked about working with, with Rick, you know, I actually, <laughs> he invited me out there and he actually came out to where I was in Utah. I went out to Portland and he came out to Utah and we sat down and we actually went through and talked through the use case. Mm-hmm. It's actually the story. He wanted to understand the story of, of what the customer experience was like. And I'd like, wow, that's, that's a really great way of looking at the problem. And, you know, a truly great technical partner uh, can help you to really translate your vision into the, into the technical software architecture and, and, and setup that would fulfill that, that mission or that, that vision of what you're looking for. And, and so, uh, yeah, so it was like three or four to six months, we were able to get a solution that, uh, that we had set a, a target for, Hey, we need to make this presentation at this time. And, and uh, we were able to do that. We're still storytellers, right? At the end of the day, if you own a business, it is, you have to be able to articulate, especially to your um, tech, you know, your tech help or co-founder, what are we solving and how are we solving that? So being able to tell that compelling story uh, is something I know I'm getting better at as I, you know, as, as, as I get older. And I'm wondering, is that something you feel you're also getting better at from your early days in a startup and maybe thinking like, hey, it's clear in my head. How come nobody sees this? And, and, <laughs> and thinking about the story more, do, do you think that happens more at, at, at Energy now as you think of your future and, and, uh, and where you are now? I've uh, in in the in the couple of decades that I've been in technology, you know, in Silicon Valley and in you know in China and so forth, there there has been a, a quiet revolution in the way that software has been developed. Uh, when I was at you know uh, PeopleSoft, for example, uh, there is a development uh, methodology called waterfall, mm-hmm. um, and waterfall methodology is. You, you, you go from one level, you complete that step, and then you can go on to the next level and then the next level and the next level until, you know, until you finish and you launch. And, you know, we, we would take a year, year and a half to work on this major software development and rollout. And, you know, at the end of it, you better hope that, you know, you captured all of the right requirements or the business environment had not changed so that your users would use the software solution. And um, there are many companies that, you know, lock themselves up in a in a um, uh, uh, their offices or their warehouse and develop these solutions. And then when they're done, they celebrate. Right. And then they they try to sell it and then they discover that, oh, in this year, you know, the, the problem that you thought was a problem is not really a problem and, and the customers aren't willing to buy it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so that there was this this uh, they, they call it startup 2.0. You know, startup 1.0 is you 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 actually raise five million dollars, you know, or you get some venture capitalist to give you five million dollars on this great idea, and then you use all that money to to kind of develop this solution over a year or two years, whatever, five years, ten years, sometimes, and then when you're done, you you try to sell it, and many times it was a flop because that's not what the customer wanted. That's not the solution. Well, in uh, lean startup or agile, it's called it, it iterative development. So it's you actually try to complete a solution as quickly as you can and release it to let users use it, even though it's buggy. You know the software may have bugs in it, even though it's not completely f- uh, a full fledged solution. 
you you actually try to complete a, a minimum viable product and release it and get feedback as quickly as possible. Long-winded way of going back to my original comment about how you were saying stories, you know, it's storytelling. The interesting thing about, uh, about uh, Agile is you create stories. Each development cycle is a story and each developer works on a story that, that the business person or the, the product owner tells and documents like, hey, this story is a story of a customer wanting to do this and they have to be able to go through this process and achieve this goal. And that's what they call it. They call mm. it stories and multiple stories you know, are, are aggregated together to make an epic. An epic is like a much bigger story, right? It's a much right. bigger, higher theme. And that, it's a really perceptive comment that you made it that, yeah, it's it's all about storytelling. It's about telling the story about the customer journey. As, as you present it in that way, it's almost as if at, at more stages than obviously in the waterfall, you're, you're not you're not testing your hypothesis out enough. And right. in Lean and Agile, it's basically you're asking yourself, is this true? more times than not, right? You're yes, saying, yes. hey, we have this hunch. Well, let's go see if this is true. <laughs> yes. Does the audience receive it in the way we think they will? And I think for yeah. for some for for some business owners out there, I think the 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 lesson I maybe want to want to hammer here is, you know, perfectionism and we want things to be perfect and we can't sh- we can't show it to anybody until it's absolutely perfect. It's like, no, if 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 an Excel document gets you what you need to do to have somebody go through something and and, and see how they feel at the end of that, great. That feedback is going to be valuable. Like don't let don't think you have to solve something in the most complicated way. Is it is it Occam's razor, all things being equal, the 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 simplest the simplest solution uh, should work. So while technology can be intimidating, you know, I think what Sean is presenting is see how quickly and how often you can test hypotheses to, to see if you're right. And then if you need to invest in more robust software, I think, you know, you can go that route. Yes, yes. Yeah, my, my professor, my favorite professor, you know, doing my MBA was uh, a, a, a great man named Steve Blank. And uh, he's, yeah, he's, they could, they, he's considered like the, you know, the, the father of, of lean startup. But, uh, um, and one of the things he taught me was, is, you know, nail it before you scale it right you, you got to mm. figure it out you got to find a solution that that will resonate with with people with customers and they'll want it instead of pushing the solution onto them they'll pull it from you mm. once you once you've iterated and created a solution that actually solves people's problems they'll start asking you uh when when can i get this or what do i have to pay for this you know once you've nailed it and then you then you throw uh, resources on it to scale it to, to actually you know to really make it bigger and more more robust. Yeah, but no, before that's, then, that's great. Yeah, until then, you keep trying to iterate, trying to find, get products out in front of your customers, and and find that true story that resonates with the customer. Just changing slight gears here, when thinking about just you in your role as a business owner, forget about technology, for, forget about all that. What's it just been like? I know you touched on it really early in our chat, but what's it been like for your family to have a serial entrepreneur, you know, as a husband and a father? Is it taxing on them? Is it exciting for them? I, I mean, I'm sure it's a, a, a little bit of, of everything, but just just curious of, of that experience there. For again, you know, uh, we have people listening who are uh, husbands and mothers and wives and fathers and, and, and all that. Uh, how do you deal with that? How does your family deal with that? Yeah, I, I appreciate your asking that question because- uh, I, I value my family a lot. And, uh, you know, some people like say, well, actually, you don't really value your family that much if you drag them all around the world, you know, and um, and, and chase all these uh, these opportunities and, and startup ideas and, you know, far-fetched, you know, uh, ideas. 
But um, it really is about, you know, kind of setting your priorities. You know, my family is very important. And and actually, one of the op- one of the reasons why we sought an opportunity to, to do a startup out in China was just to give my 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 boys an opportunity to be in that environment, to to live in that environment, to to experience, you know, uh, living in China. And you know, I'm I'm Laotian, but I I married a uh, what they call an ABC American born Chinese. So you know, her her dad is from Shanghai, her mom's from Taiwan. But she was re- uh, born and raised in San Jose in the Bay Area, and uh, and our boys, you know, grew up learning a little bit of Chinese, uh, mostly Chinese. Uh, well, English is their, you know, their 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 main language. But they learned, they went to Saturday school and so forth. Um, and we wanted to give them that opportunity to kind of be in an environment and that's you know surrounded by Chinese, and and that's why we wanted that. And um, yeah, it really is. You you have to make time for your family, even though you're chasing that opportunity. You know, you're 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 really married to two things: your your startup, your your company, and your family. People ask me, so what do you do for fun? Like, I'm not if I'm not working on my business, I'm I'm spending time with my family. Right. You know, you have to decide what what you value. Right. You know, if you if you still want to, you know, do your do your things. Well, you gotta you gotta balance all of that. You have to figure out you know what your other hobbies are, but uh, you have to make a conscious dis- a decision or a choice that y- you want to definitely build your relationship and and, and uh, retain your relationships with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, with your pets, whatever. You know, it's it, it's, it has to be a conscious uh, effort to do that. I appreciate that answer, Sean, uh, and your honesty there. And Sean's drive with energy, you know, their mission is to bride the world with affordable solar power. So what's the hardest thing about being CEO of energy today? Uh, what you say today, I mean, living in a post-COVID world is, oh man, it is so difficult. COVID has shown the world how connected and reliant we are on each other, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have supply chains that that spanned the world. We have chips that are made in, in Singapore and uh, we have you know, raw materials from China and we have, uh, you know, kind of uh, components that are made in the U.S. and it all gets put together and so forth. Well, when that supply chain or that that components and raw raw materials and 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 that chain of, of, of value generation gets disrupted, it gets really hard. Uh, yeah. So that's one of the things that we're struggling with now is getting the product of, you know, built and, and produced so we can, so we can fulfill and and ship to our customers. It is a lot of hard work to be an entrepreneur, especially in technology, uh, you know, is a lot of hard work. You know, you have a lot of things like software. I mean, it's the good thing about software is you can iterate much more quickly than hardware, you know, with hardware, you, you build batches of 500 or a thousand, and then you find out, Oh, Oh, we didn't get that right. right. Then you gotta, you know, cycle through and, you know, six months later, you build the next version and and you fix some of that problem. Whereas software, overnight, you can fix a problem, right? And uh, yeah, so that's that's the that's the dip, you know, thing that they say. That's that's the thing about hardware; it's hard. Yeah. You know, software is also hard. I mean, I think software is also very very hard because it's so flexible. But yeah, well, it's like the pandemic was forcing lean and agile right on your shoulders, and you guys had had to deal with it uh, on the fly. Okay, Sean. Tough question here. Perfectionism 
imposter syndrome or the fear of failure? What is your self-sabotage drug of choice and how do you deal with them? Um, I've learned about, I've learned about the, um, you know, perfectionism. I, I, I think I, I, it was instilled in me that, you know, by my, uh, my entrepreneurship professor, you know, Steve Blank, that you can't, you, you can't, you, you can't wait till it's all perfect and done to, to release your software or your product. You got to just bugs and all warts and all, you got to release it to get it, it, feedback from the customer, right? Uh, customer feedback and the customer discovery. All these things are from the, the lean startup, uh, movement. Um, so that's, you know, that perfectionism, it actually really actually hinders a lot of people because they, they think, oh, it needs to be perfect. I don't want to, I don't want to look foolish when I release this, you know, don't it's, it's actually part of the development process. Part of the entrepreneurship process is to get a product as quickly out as possible and to fail as quickly as possible, not for the sake of failing, but for the sake of learning. When you fail, you learn. And that's the critical part. Fail, you know, quickly and fail often, but implied in that is learning when you learn from your failures that's when it's good to fail don't fail for the sake of failing right um and so so yeah so that perfectionism i i think i'm over that you know imposter syndrome i still have feel that you know and um i i i don't even think about it anymore i because you know a refugee boy you know who came here with you know not speaking english you know i was in uh i was in esl english as a second yeah. language in elementary school and i you know, figured that, you know, that out. And now, you know, I feel English is my, <laughs> my strongest language. Um, but, uh, so yeah. And, and I, I, I constantly, when I was earlier in my career felt that impo imposter sy uh, syndrome, right. Mm -hmm. Just like, Hey, I don't belong here. What am I doing here? I don't know all these things, but it just being among, uh, just, just being in business is doing things, getting experience. That's what gives you confidence. Right. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things I learned from my MBA was, you know, I I um I was among some of the really smartest and and brightest and and hardworking guys. But what I realized is I was I had similar experience that they did. I have similar opinions that they do. They 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 weren't like you know super super like you know like geniuses. They're people like me, and and right. being among them. Uh, and and learning from them and them learning from me that gave me comp confidence and so again you know, imposter syndrome people are people you know everybody's similar they're more similar than you think mm -hmm. to you so have the confidence to you know and I've, I've said this before and i'll say it again if if a refugee boy who came with nothing and who's you know started from zero can do it so can you so um and so it would be by default the third one i forget what that was but <laughs> that uh, was that was fear of failure yeah, fear, failure. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, that still haunts me every every day. You know, mm -hmm. because you know, as as a business leader, it's okay when it's just you, mm -hmm. but when you have a team, when you have you know people that relying on the company, and you're you're you know you're you're putting food on the table. That's what that's what keeps me up at night. Is that we we don't make a a, a foolish, crazy mistake that just you know takes the company out out. You know, and and then that means that you know people lose their jobs and right. they can't support their families. That's what really keeps me up at night. Right. What is coming up for, for energy? What are you most excited about? Yeah. So, uh, we, uh, we just closed a, uh, a seed round, uh, which gave us funding and, and secured funding for us to, to kind of get our engineering resources to kind of finish up a couple of products that, uh, can really help us, um, be the leaders in in uh, off-grid power in 
portable energy storage, especially in developing countries. You know, we were able to prove with our existing products that you can just ship. Uh, so there was a there's a community uh, in the country of Suriname. I don't know if people know about Suriname or not. I actually didn't know until I had heard about it, but I, I didn't know exactly where it was. It's it's the only Dutch colony or pre, pre, uh, former Dutch colony in South America. It's it's on the northern coast of South America. It 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 uh, borders French Guiana and Guyana and 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 to the south of Brazil, and uh, they speak Dutch there. And um, but there are uh, you know communities that. Uh, again, former uh, former uh, uh, slaves that were brought over to work in the plantations and so forth. Well, they they actually escaped to the to the the hinterland of, of of Suriname or to the inner parts of of Suriname, and they lived along the tributaries of the Amazon jungle. And uh, we were able to prove our solution can can give them power in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Um, they used to use diesel generators. Uh, and you know how did how do, you know? And how do you how do you, how did they make money to 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 keep fueling that? They actually sold rights to the forest that they they actually own in their in their native you know their their traditional lands. They would sell rights to this forest to to be cut down, and they would sell that to buy diesel uh, fuel to power their diesel generators to give them lights at night and to run their washing machine and what whatnot. Well, we were able to actually introduce our technology and allow them to use that. And one of the things that was really exciting, we partnered with a with a company out in Alaska, and I've never been and met them in person, um, but we worked together via Zoom and via you know all these remote uh, partnering software and so forth to develop a, a a user's manual that does not require you to read. So a low literacy uh, user's manual where you just look at pictures, and we were able to give this picture. A, a user's manual to the to the to the ladies to the community members who were you know a, a bunch of of women and they were able to put our systems together and plug it together and make it work without you know without someone teaching them or training them they looked at and it was amazing what we were able to do and so this is what drives us this is our passion is to provide power to those that don't have it you know like refugees or communities that live in off-grid environments in, in very austere environments and so uh, to answer your question about what we're excited about, we are working on technology where um, it's much bigger scale power uh, that that actually has microgrid software enabled uh, and embedded inside it. We actually were able to secure a grant from the Department of Energy to actually take some technology that um, has been worked on by the Idaho National Lab, one of our partners there in Idaho, to take what they've already done and, and tested uh, in in military bases and uh, communities already that their microgrid work, but it runs on a server. It runs it runs on a computer. So what we're doing is we're taking that microgrid software and translating that software into a, uh, a a microchip, porting that software into a microchip, and embedding that microchip into our next generation solar generators. And then now you can actually build a micro, a grid, a utility grid in that village or in that community in the middle of the Amazon jungle by just attaching two systems together. And then once they've maxed out those two systems, you can actually get another system and connect it to that. Now you have three systems working together and, and one could be powered by solar. Another one can be powered by hydro. 
another were going to be powered by a biofuel, you know, generator. And they are all sharing and pooling power. And that's our vision. That's what we're excited about. We're excited to actually be be introducing this technology uh, in the upcoming six to, to 12 months. Well, if, if that's not exciting, I don't know what is. <laughs> I saw another interview with you and you had this just lovely three-word sentence and you said, power is life. And for me, as I, as I heard your story, there is a thread that goes from that refugee camp all the way to energy. Uh, in that understanding that power of even a dimly lit light, as you said, of what yeah. that can do for someone who has a little bit less. So I think it's what, what an amazing thread, you know, your life has weaved to do the work you do now. So um, that's an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 you know, you, you had mentioned that, uh, well, one, one of the great blessings and opportunity uh, of uh, that I've had in my life is to be able to work at Apple. And uh, I was actually there when uh, Steve Jobs was there, and this was this was the Steve Jobs that was recovering from his illness, and so it was it was not the the you know the the I guess the earlier Steve Jobs, but but nevertheless he's a great man, and one of the great things that I I love about uh, Steve and and just his thinking outside the box and just looking at problems in a very different way. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Steve Jobs uh, goes something like this about how you really can't connect the dots looking forward, but you can connect the dots looking backwards. And so I, I look back in my life and, mm -hmm. and see the various experiences and opportunities that, that I've been, been blessed with. And it, it basically has prepared me for this opportunity. Well, I think your heart and your energies are in, are in the right place. I think your team is, is lucky to have you. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sean Lewingrath. We'll see you on the next episode of Headspring. Headspring is sponsored by IQ Lab. IQ Lab is dedicated to transforming enterprises through digital automation, IoT, and data science. For more information on IQ Lab, please visit iqlab.com. That's E-Y-E-C-U-E-L-A-B dot com.